When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, it is Topher here, and we are back for our second installment of our Windy City Storm Hockey Roundtable. And uh, we so appreciate all your guys' feedback from episode one, I guess we can call it, with uh, myself and Rob Rassi and Ryan Ward, where we talked about the track slash back check. And today, I got Coach Rassi back in the office here to talk some power play. So what do you say, Rass? Let's get to it. <laughs> and I'm not doing the intro for these ones anymore just because it feels really weird in person and live doing it. So we're just getting right into it. But this uh, this, um, this conversation is actually an extension of one that Ras and I were having yesterday uh, just over at the rink as we were watching some of our kids skate. And we just kind of started riffing on the power play and we ended up talking for what, like a half an hour? Yeah. <laughs> I could talk for a long time about the power play. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we figured, why not we why not put uh, the mics on and, and continue with that conversation? And uh, so it was really, really interesting. And just for me, having coached against Rass when he was over at the dark side at uh, at Harvard there, like the they, all, the <laughs> they always had awesome power plays and uh, always like felt like I was learning. They were doing different things and uh, things that maybe some other teams weren't doing and uh, always really, really difficult to... Uh, to defend against, especially when guys like Adam Fox were up top and had some of that those helps. studs like Donato and all those guys. But um, just, I thought it'd be awesome to get Rass on here and talk some power play here today. So you ready, ready to go? Absolutely. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, one of the things that I've always been really big on when it comes to power play is like, it's not necessarily about X's and O's, more like mentality. And I feel like, especially at the youth levels, I see it a lot of the youth, but certainly at the college level too, and at pros, like when you get a power play, it's almost like the players exhale a little bit and they think it's going to be a little bit easier, you know? And so that like killer instinct mentality that makes people great and makes teams great, a lot of times kind of goes by the wayside. Are you kind of on the same page as me? Is that like... I don't want to say mentality is more important than X's and O's, but maybe I am saying that. I think mentality is more important than X's and O's. What would you say to that? I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think when you think about it, I think there's a huge misconception of the way people view the power play. And when you go to a hockey game, if a, I'm a 15-year-old player and I go to the hockey game, uh, a National Hockey League game, so I'm going to a game in Chicago and I the power play comes on, um, you see you see the possession, right? You see the parts uh, of the game where the team on the power play controls the puck. And then when there's an icing or whatever it might be, you're like, oh, you sit back in your chair, but you don't actually really focus on the entire two minutes. And for me, um, it started when I first got to Harvard, I worked with the penalty kill. So learning the penalty kill, I'm like, all right, what are we trying to do? How are we going to prevent our power play from our opponents from scoring goals? It was good in practice because Paul Pearl, who I was working with, ran the power play. So we always had a good power play. So our penalty kill in practice was tested. So we tried different things and then uh, evolving into the role where you're running the power play, that experience on the penalty kill really gave me a good lens and a good viewpoint of, hey, this is what makes a power play hard to, hard to defend against. And for me, it comes back to work. Um, it is, you have to work harder on the power play than you do on the penalty kill. You have to outwork the opponent. Our thing that we always said was, um, if we have the power play, what's the goal, right? So say a good power play is 30%, which we got to a couple of times. And we were like, <laughs> just for just for ease of math, right? Ease of, ease of, ease of talking points here. So that means seven out of 10 power plays, you're not going to score. 
what what's going to happen from how is that your power play when you don't score how is that going to impact the game um that's seven out of ten so for me we always want to capture the momentum of the game from the power play we want to be organized we want to have the puck we want to be in possession we want to attack we don't want to be on our heels. We don't want to let the penalty kill ice the puck and then dog us on the forecheck and keep the puck and then have a bad entry, then ice it again. And then it's just, it's disorganization from the game. And the penalty kill then, the other team gains momentum of the game, right? Your players are now frustrated. You're usually, your top skill players are frustrated. They're not having success. Their things aren't going the way they want to go. Um, so for me, it comes down to, like like you said, I completely agree with you, mentality, desperation work are what makes a good power play successful on a consistent basis. So how do you instill that in your players? Because like, that's one thing that is a little bit, I don't want to say tough as a coach, but sometimes it is because most of the time players want it a little bit easier and the power play typically is a little bit easier. Um, So how do you kind of instill that dog and mentality in your guys when you were coaching them? I think uh, the expectation is clear, communicated. Um, it's we. This is what we expect if you want to play on the power play here. Uh, and if you don't do it, you won't play on the power play. Like it's, it's <laughs> as simple as that. Obviously, there, you have to massage a few personalities and character traits on there. But it, it, comes, from, it comes from mentality and communication from the coaching staff. Say, hey, this is, this is what we expect and this is how things are going to be. Uh, and then part two is carrying that out into how you prepare and how you practice it. Um, I was a big believer in not making power play practice easy. Uh, rarely did we do five on all work where guys are just snapping the puck around. They have time. They have no pressure. Uh, I wanted to put our guys in situations that made things difficult, that make entries difficult, that make possession difficult, that make faceoffs hard. So you realize you really start to value um, what – if you execute and you work and you retrieve pucks and you establish and you do the little things to establish the actual possession, um, your life on the power play is a lot easier. Yeah, that's so true. I think uh, I think another thing too is like creating competition, absolutely within your team. Whether it's in like putting two people in the same spot and saying, okay, whoever does the best job in practice probably gonna <laughs> probably gonna play on the power play in the game or creating competition within different units on your team. And we did a competition just last week where I told the guys, we have three units right now, not two. We have three, just trying to create a little bit more of that competition. And in practice, it's okay. Whoever scores the first goal is going to get first first go at power play in the next game. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny how the intensity lifts <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. It's just that happens, a little right? bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, ice time, as a coach, ice time is the only thing that we can control. Right. So if you give it or take, that, give it or take it away. That's valuable ice time. <laughs> yeah. The power play ice time for the sure. Guys, the guys really value. Yeah. No question. No question. So, uh, so you mentioned like making it hard in practice. So I want to talk about that because this is one of the things that we talked about yesterday because I brought up that um, when I was coaching at the college level, we did every so often like to go out and do five on O just to kind of get reps and get rhythms and certain things where there wasn't much pressure. Um, why do you go so far the other way in terms of always wanting to have pressure on the guys and maybe not starting from scratch? Yeah, I think for me, early on in the year and in skill-specific stuff, we would do some 5-on-0 stuff. Hey, these are the different reads we can make just to give them that familiarity. But rarely in games, like in my opinion, do things happen exactly the way you want them to happen. Um, yeah. And the, the big important drivers for us were always being able to release pressure. At the college level and at the junior level in particular, like teams and every level, right? It's teams want on the penalty kill. They want to usually take away your time and your space and be aggressive. And they don't want to let you establish what you're trying to do. So for us, it was always trying to release that pressure. And then once we found that we were good and successful at being able to release that pressure, we found that we had success. So for me, for me, um, that success was determined by, Entries, being able to create and establish possession off of entries. So we would practice that a ton. I bet you 
<laughs> my last year at Harvard, those five guys, those 10 guys that played on our power play majority of the year, if we still ran our power play breakout, I bet you they'd still be able to execute it. It's a really later. good one, too. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I remember we, it. <laughs> we we want to create predictability through that. We want to create predictability through our full ice when the, when the puck was ice all the way down the ice, through short entries. When a puck would just go out to the neutral zone, we wanted to be organized. We wanted to we, – we really – stressed the importance of not wasting time on the power play. Every time the puck is iced on the power play, you don't realize, say you start a power play and there's two minutes on the clock, you lose the face off, the puck is iced, that kills about 18 to 20 seconds on average. That kills 18 to 20 seconds. You got it all the way back in your and zone. And that's with a good entry coming that's, up. That's with a good entry yeah. coming up. So then now you say it's a, a minute 40, you're entering the zone again. Say you have a bad entry, puck is iced again. 20 more seconds down the ice. Now you're at a minute 20. Your guys are a little tired. You start with your usually your most skilled players or your better players on the power play. Now it's 40 seconds in. They've taken two trips full up, up and down the ice, back and forth. They're going to start to get winded. Now say your second entry, you're successful. Might not be as sharp, right? You're going to have uh, the, the lactic acid's going to start to be building up in there. You're not going to be as sharp as you would if you were successful at establishing possession right when the power play started. So that was a big thing for us is we didn't want to ever waste time. Be sharp, uh, stress the importance of that, and we actually break it down and see how much time you can save and how much more efficient you can be by being good at those things. I think it starts to click. Yeah, for sure. So lots to unpack there. Uh, I want to get to releasing pressure next, but we're on entries right now. Um, so I want to continue with that. One of the things I th- always thought that you guys were really good and always pretty creative on too at Harvard was finding ways to create two-on-ones on the entries, whether it was the F1 guy, whether it was the F2 or F3 or four or D, whatever, however your structure is or whatever. You guys were really good at that. Um, is that something that you guys talked about when you're diagramming and talking through your entry structure on the power play? Yeah, the, the one, the, the person that I learned it the most from was Paul Pearl. Uh, when he first got to Harvard, him and I, he was running the power play and seeing the way that he did things and the creativity that he tried to use and create those two-on-ones at the at the offensive blue line really opened my eyes. I'm like, wow. Um, and if you can put your most skilled players in a position with speed and they can create numbers at the offensive blue line, you're usually going to have success. Um, and he was big on – he didn't want to just establish possession. He wanted to score. <laughs> yeah. He wanted – like, he wanted to not – like, he – this is a chance for us. Let's score off the rush. He was big on that, and we had uh, we had a lot of success doing that under when he was there, and uh, that's where I first learned it from. So, uh, from a penalty kill perspective, kind of lo- like looking at it the other way, most penalty kills in college and in junior are usually going to have three guys on the defensive blue line. Yep. Right. Yep. You're going to have one guy usually retrieving and supporting from the back, but usually you're going to have a D on the strong side of the ice, a forward in the middle, and a forward on the weak side. So, okay, so we have the numbers, right? We have five, they have four. They're going to have three. How many guys do we need to have on our entry to create those two-on-ones? We need to have four. So we know that there's going to be most likely three guys taking away lanes, so we want to have four lanes filled. We want to be able to hold the puck through the middle of the ice. We want to be able to hold those guys in the middle, be able to release wide. Now you got some speed and you know that one guy, there's going to be one guy on either side kind of playing defense out of the dot lane. If you have two guys over there, you're going to have a two on one. You know what I mean? So if you break it down as simple as that, trying to, there's usually going to be three on the blue line. Let's have four, hold the puck in the middle of the ice, kick it out wide and come up the ice that way. You should, you should be able to have numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that actually I was on Twitter today and Mike Kelly, do you follow him on Twitter? I do. Yeah. So he's an awesome follow, great analytics guy, unreal hockey mind. I I think he's like one of those analytics guys who also like kind of gets the other side. It's not (laughs) like purely. So if you're not following Mike Kelly, uh, follow him because he's awesome. But he, he talked about the drop pass on the entry. Are you a fan of the drop pass? We used it. Um, and until somebody finds a clear way to stop it, I think you're going to see it a lot, <laughs> yeah. right? I, I, I think I've seen teams in spurts be able to defend against it and do well against it. And I think it's going to come a time where people are, someone's going to come up with a way that's just going to absolutely squash it and it's not going to be seen anymore. But right now, 
um, if it's executed well and it's practiced well. And what you're trying to do is just create gaps, right? And it's in create a situation where your players are coming up the ice with numbers on the offensive blue line against guys that don't have a ton of speed. So until teams figure out a way to clearly stop it, I yeah. think you're going to see, I think you're going to continue to see it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you see how much the, like the defending guys are flat footed when you do that. And it's, impo- it's almost impossible not to be, I mean, how do you regap that quickly? It's you can't. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you don't respect it, then they're just going to skate the puck in for sure easily. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. And a lot of the analytics and data that Mike was showing, just kind of like some of the teams that did it well, some of the teams yeah. that didn't and um, the percentage rates of entries with possession when doing the draw pass was huge yep. and a lot better than what it would have been or what it was with the people that didn't uh, didn't do it. So For sure. the only thing that's tough is like if you don't execute it very well, it looks really bad. It does. It does look really <laughs> you bad. You just got to get over that a little bit as a coach. And that's that's one of the things I think too from a penalty kill side of it, right? If you're trying to defend against a power play, like for me, I, we always tried to get our guys to go up and pressure down the ice because yep. that whole breakout with the drop pass is all timing. And if you can do anything to throw a wrinkle in that timing and guys aren't necessarily prepared the way that they should be, you can really cause some havoc down there. You talk about maintaining possession, or sorry, not maintaining possession, uh, establishing momentum in the game from from special teams. As a penalty kill, if you can be effective at going to pressure down the ice, disrupt that, whatever the power play is trying to do and cause timing, and then they get frustrated. So for me, when we were doing our, our penalty kill, we'd always want go. Yeah, go down the ice, cause disrupt timing, throw guys to alter their routes, and just don't let them do what they want to do. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, when it comes to the entries for the youth hockey coaches that are out here, myself included, now um, you don't have the full length of the ice anymore because of the icing rule. So a lot of it, like you were talking before, is the short entries now. So now it's coming from you know the far blue line or right outside the near blue line, red line in the neutral zone. Um, how would you guys go about? Um, those short kind of entries. Did you have any kind of strategy when it came to that? We would do, honestly, the exact same thing that we yeah. would do full ice um, in terms of filling four lanes. Yeah. We would, the, the guys in their lanes would know where to go it would, and it would create that predictability, right? We wouldn't want to go all the way down the ice, obviously, but we would get around the puck, turn it up the ice. We'd have our four lanes filled. Usually that power play is going to turn around um, or sorry, the penalty kill is going to turn around and gap up as much as they can, but they're going to gap up with three guys. Mm-hmm. They're not going to gap up with four. So if you can get around the puck, again, that's that's effort though, right? You talk about work, you talk about effort that goes into it. You have to work to get back to that ice. So all five guys can come back and then you can create those numbers. If one guy's dogging it, it's not going to work. And you might be off sides you too. You might be off sides <laughs> The penalty kill sees this guy's dog, and they're probably going to go to the other side, so then they can shift over, and things aren't going to be as successful. That just comes down to work. Yeah, and the work aspect, too, is kind of like playing fast is really important. That's what I've been stressing with my guys is like, let's outwork the gap of the other team. So if they're lollygagging, getting back up to gap at the blue line, you know, we could we should be able to get in easily. Absolutely. Every time, um, especially when it's, you know, not that far down if it stays in a neutral zone or whatever. And we've had some pretty good success on it. I could probably do a better job in being a little bit more, I like the word that you were uh, used as predictable rather than like, I think that's better buy-in for maybe the players than structured on yeah. power play. Um, but yeah, I just feel like the faster we go, the easier it is to get in just because of that gapping. You just can't do it. Yeah. I, I think predictability, like, as a college coach, right, you remember going back to pre-scout, right, and you oh, yeah. pre-scout opponents and do different things, and you know what teams most likely were trying to do, right? If you were doing you, right, you know, hey. My first year, like, honestly, so my first year in coaching, I was a grad assistant in Miami, and so I did the pre-scouts towards the end of the year, but I was not on the bench, so I was up top. And you get a much clearer view of the game yeah. when you're watching it the higher you go, right? And I literally, it was, like, boring watching hockey, because you knew what they were going to do every time. Mm-hmm. You knew what we were going to do to counter it. And that's what people don't understand with the highest levels. It, like, it's a scripted game pretty much. Everybody yeah. knows what everybody's going to do. You just got to execute. It's about right? who does it better. <laughs> exactly. Right? So yeah. if, if you know, and that's why like the word predictable for me 
if you know what you're going to do and you can get really good at what you do, I, I challenge a team to go out and stop it. So, yeah, okay, so I like that. So let's talk about that on the power play specifically. Let's let's go maybe like in zone because these were these were conversations that we would have a lot in our coaches' room was like predictability versus trying to let your most offensive players be creative, right? Like, do you allow them to roll or do you give them like, this is how we're going to do it. These are the certain plays we're going to try and do. Um, how did you guys go about that kind of like dichotomy versus the structure predictability versus letting your top guys kind of do their thing. It's a, it's a tough balance because like you said, you're dealing with some pretty good hockey players who are good for a reason. Yeah. Right? They usually have a <laughs> skill set or some creativity to their game that makes them good. And when you try and take away some of that, it can, it can hinder what you're trying to do. Um, but I think if you look at the most successful power play in the National Hockey League over the last 10 years is who? Uh, I mean, recently, Tampa. Tampa's is very good. Yeah. Um, who else? When you think of... Washington. When you think of Washington's power play, have they changed <laughs> anything in the last 10 years? Uh, no. Outs- they maybe shift some personnel. Now <laughs> who's at the top. But at the end of the day, they're doing the exact same thing that they were doing 10 years ago. Yeah. Roughly. Right. Um, they just do it very well. So there's some predictability um, to what they do. There's a lot of predictability to what they do when you look at how they score goals. And for me, like when I was going back to look at a power play and, and watching some of the successful power plays in the NHL, there's a lot of predictability there. Totally. You, don't, you know, you don't see, you might not see it all the time on the highlights in NHL tonight, but uh, if you really watch the reps and watch when these teams have success and when they don't, there's, there's usually a lot of predictability there because now you have five guys who, who are on the same page. If you have one guy who goes rogue, sure, he might make a play once in a while, but over the long term, it's not you're not going to have as much success if you have the advantage of five guys on the same page have a general idea of what the other guys are looking to do and all trying to to do the same thing for me i think is you're going to have more success long term than just the individual skill guy making a play once in a while yeah so narado who's a friend of yours i freaking bring him up on every hockey episode yeah. we do <laughs> he knows uh, his stuff he knows his stuff but a couple of years back him and i did a power play study we actually went through every single goal that was scored on the power play in the nhl i want to say it was a 17 18 season maybe 16 17 season i don't know if you want to look at the like what we wrote it's on the hockey think tank.com um but one of the things that we charted was structure goals versus chaos goals you know, because like at that time, I was big into shot volume, like let's get shots, let's go retrieve, get them out of their structure, and then attack on broken plays. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of how I kind of thought about the power play. Um, and then as I'm going through like all of the goals and you start to see patterns and you start to see, like, it's like, man, a lot of these goals look the same, <laughs> you know? And then we actually charted structured versus chaos and 60% of the goals came strictly off of just structured execution. 40% came off kind of like chaos, broken plays type yep. stuff. And like, I don't, I don't necessarily know how to, um, what's the word? Like, I don't know how to come to conclusions on that because yep. is still a lot when it comes to chaos, but 60% is obviously a lot more than that. So like what I came out of it just in, just in my own kind of like qualitative aside from the numbers is like, okay, every power play except for maybe one or two is doing the exact same thing. Every penalty kill is doing the exact same thing. (laughs) You just need to execute on what you're doing and you execute probably a lot better with a little bit more structure and predictability. So people are on the same page. They know what's happening. And uh, yeah, it's just, it was interesting seeing that. And it's not to say that that structure can't lead to chaos. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right. Do you know what I mean? Where if it's you're, you're good on the power play, you've have a successful entry, you have some chances buzzing and then that creates the chaos, right? That might create a scrum at the net. That might create some, you know what I mean? Different types of opportunities that come from that structure. But um, for me, I was always, uh, I was big on predictability. I I just like to to have all those guys working. Um, And then there, 
their hockey sense and their skill and their creativity is going to come out eventually. You the team I mean? with the really good players is probably going to be better on the power play with a team that's <laughs> not as good players. It usually works that way. Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed in that power play study we did was like, if you had a player like an Ovechkin, like a Stamkos, like a Line A who can really bomb a puck, like that just opened it up so much more. And we went through the top eight power plays and we went through the bottom eight power plays. And honestly, like a huge difference was having that one guy. Because, you know, now you got you got to cover Ovechkin. You don't want to give him time and space, so you're kind of cheating with that offside D or you're cheating with the bumper guy to kind of go over that way. Well, why does TJ Oshie have so many power play goals? Well, it's because they're freaking really worried about Ovechkin on the other side, right? Why does Braden Point have so many power play goals? You're worried about Steven Stamkos on that one timer on that side or freaking Nikita Kucherov on the other side. Like, they got two of them, so talk about good power play. And, uh, yeah, it's just like... And I think that goes along with something that I think is really important too is like making sure as a coach you're putting players in roles where they can succeed on the power play. 100%. Like if a, if a kid doesn't have a great one-timer, probably shouldn't be playing in Ovechkin's spot. You know, if a kid isn't really kind of um, feisty and gritty and good on retrievals and stick battles, you probably shouldn't be playing the net front or probably the bumper <laughs> either. Absolutely. You know, your bumper guy's got to be really smart so when the other team is playing really aggressively, he can get to spots where you can release it to the middle when they're trying to take the walls away, you know? So, like, like finding the skill sets of the players that you have and then putting them in, in places where they're going to succeed on the ice. That's huge. That's huge, and I think that's one thing, too, that um, is a college recruiter and as, as, as an assistant coach, I think you get a really good understanding the more that you watch guys coming up through midgets and then into the USHL and how they succeed in certain roles. You might not think when they get to campus that they can do it, right? And But then all the you are like, oh, you know what, this kid in Lincoln was really good at, at, uh, at playing on a strong side. You put them on a strong side, then all of a sudden something clicks, right? So I, I think yeah. that comes from a little bit of, of research and understanding of who you have yeah. right? and kind of the skill sets that they might have and the experience that they might have. For sure. So, um, Okay, another thing I want to talk about is roles. So getting the puck and moving with it. Um, some people like it. Some people don't. People do it for different reasons. What are your thoughts on rolling, underlapping, scissoring, moving with the puck, skating with the puck, I should say, instead of passing it? I'm a big believer in movement. I'm a big believer in um, being able to... I personally... That you talk about as a player, right? You know your strengths and weaknesses. I couldn't yeah. one-time the puck for anything. <laughs> you um, and me both. <laughs> for me, I wanted to be... I felt more comfortable coming down with the puck on my strong side, being able to pass, being able to shoot off that way. So for me, um, I always just felt, and you talk about personnel, right? It's hard to be able to shoot the puck the way that Ovechkin does and the way they'll be able to hammer those pucks on one-timers through the seam coming on a 80-mile-an-hour pass, right? There aren't a lot of guys that can do that. So for me, in at the college level, the junior level, especially at the youth level, um, it's rare. So I think you... If you're looking at your skill players, usually they're more comfortable on their strong sides like that. So for me, I like to have guys in motion uh, with the puck on their forehand, usually trying to attack the net. Um, and it just kind of builds into that attack mentality, right? So you want to be aggressive when you don't have the puck or you don't have clean possession. You're aggressive to establish that possession, but then don't sit back on your heels, right? Have a have a mentality that says, hey, we want to we want to attack. So I always like motion. I always like motion at the net. Um, we would, in especially like if there are teams that kind of, once you establish that possession, sit back on you a little bit, that's when the movement can um, yeah. c- can really open up some passing lanes, open up some shooting lanes, get some guys confused in coverage on the, on the PK. Um, so I, I, I do like movement. Yeah, I do like it for sure, especially against those passive penalty kills where they're just sitting back and they'll block shots. It's funny. Like that was actually another question I had for you. And we'll get to it in a second was like, would you rather as a power play go against a penalty kill that's passive and just kind of packs it in? Or would you rather go against a penalty kill that's all out? All out for me all day. Yeah. Um, just because I'm confident in our preparation and we're prepared for that. Sure. That says, hey, and I, I, we have five, they have four. If we're organized and prepared and a team wants to run at us, bring it. 
I like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is too like when you're when you're going against a passive penalty kill and you can't get anything going. The worst. There's no you talked about momentum earlier. There is nothing worse for your momentum as a team than just like hanging onto the puck on the outside of the perimeter for like probably a minute, you know. You just can't find a shooting lane. There are teams in the ECAC, man. I, 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 I eat pucks. Yeah. It's it's uh, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to find those lanes. Oh God. Yeah, but I'm with you on the movement part too. Like, the thing that gets me most upset with my players is when somebody just like has the puck and just stands there and stick handles. It's like that you're wasting valuable time and you're not making the job of the penalty killer any tougher. That's the thing, right? Think about it from the PK side of it. That's yeah. what you want. If you're killing a penalty, you want a guy just to stand on the outside <laughs> and handle the puck and think he looks good, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's not hard to play against. For sure. For sure. And it's just so like, whether it's moving where you're, you know, rolling and underlapping, whether you're getting it and moving it, I mean, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create confusion within the penalty kill. You have one more guy, so it's a little bit easier to do that. And when you can create that, that's where seams open up. That's where, you know, guys get open because, you know, two penalty killers are now going to one guy as opposed to doing their job and focusing on what their role is on the penalty kill and stuff. And just, like, it's it's just being hard to play against. Like, there's so many different definitions of being hard to play against. And static, not moving, stick handling is the easiest you can be to play against on the power play or, or five on five for that matter. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree. It's crazy. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about was kind of like position specific. And I want to know from you because you're on the ice with these guys a lot and you're focusing on like individual skill type stuff. So like I wanted to kind of go through maybe different and we'll kind of use the one three one terminology just because that's what a lot of people are familiar with and pretty much everybody <laughs> uses and just like what are certain skills or habits or tendencies that you think would be good for kind of like each of those positions yep. you know what I mean um the first one is I want to talk about like the guy at the top the defenseman um it's it's interesting because we had this I don't know if you were in the coaches room we were having this conversation but Joe Corva was in there who was a power play defenseman for a decade yep. um in the NHL and it's amazing like we talked about Ovechkin earlier Ovechkin isn't Ovechkin scoring 20 power play goals a year unless John Carlson can put a pass on his tape? Absolutely. You know what I mean? That pass from the D to whoever, and at the youth level you see it so much where the passing isn't as good. Like you see an opportunity for a goal. It should be a goal every time, but it's in their skate, you know? Or Absolutely. <laughs> it's, on, it's on their backhand or whatever. Just like simple tape to tape passing and especially like if you watch Hedman like he can get it from Kucherov over to Stamkos on a one touch like people he makes that look easy that's a much more difficult play than I think people realize so for me at the top like that guy just being able to simply make a tape to tape pass is a big skill to have. I completely agree <laughs> with you being able to deliver the puck in a space when knowing whether the guy's on his strong side or his offside yeah right yeah. so you're putting the puck in a spot where if he's on his strong side he doesn't have to slow down to catch it right don't put it in his feet by giving him a good pass it gives him an extra half a second to be able to make a play yeah right it might it might give him an extra half a second where he can now change his angle a little bit and then he can open up a shooting lane yeah right whereas if he gets that puck a little bit later or he has to fumble it or pull it out of his skates that defenseman that's coming out on him now has had that extra second to close it takes away his time and space so it has a, a trickle down effect from that for sure yeah no question and uh well you mentioned it yesterday when we were talking just the ability to get to the middle of the ice too and how much that opens up and i forget the percentages that you talked about but it was like crazy wasn't it yeah, it was a study that i can't remember where it was a, it was a while ago that i saw it but it was if, if a power the, the success of a power play that's able to get the puck to the middle of the ice on the blue line the numbers are like through the roof yeah um, I think it's like they have a 42% success rate. If you can actually establish possession and get the puck to the middle of the blue line, the numbers are insane. 
Yeah, it just opens up so much options, right? Like, if you have the puck and you're stuck on one side, there's only a certain amount of things you can do because you can only pass the puck one way. As opposed to you get the puck to the middle, now you're just opening up the entire zone to be able to go one way or the other. Again, creates a little bit maybe confusion in in the D. And also, you're giving yourself a shot lane from up top, too. Yeah, and, and I think, too, like, don't underestimate the ability to be able to get a shot through. For sure. Right, I, I think that's being able to make that simple pass and being able, it doesn't have to be a bomb, right? It doesn't have to be a, a back scratcher. Do you remember Brett away. Skinner? Oh, yeah. Does that name ring a bell? Oh, yeah. He was unbelievable at that. Yeah. Like, the shots would go, like, 40 miles an hour <laughs> from, from the blue line, but yeah. every time it was tippable, every time it got through on the net, and he yeah. ended up being a, I think he played in the NHL. If he didn't play in the NHL, he was, like, a All-American at yeah. Denver. Yeah, Um Adam Fox's junior year at Harvard. I mean, oh, he's he's, he's uh, I mean, you I could catch his his some of his wrist shots with my <laughs> hand. I, I used to joke with him all the time, but he he get him through, and it didn't matter how hard that he his placement was insane. Um, that he was able to get those pucks through and get them on the net, and uh, he's one of the best in the world at it. But um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a de- and you can practice that. That's something that you can get better at by getting your eyes up, getting your feet moving, find those lanes. Uh, and getting those bucks through can be a practice habit for sure. Yeah, so one of the things too, so my Russian coach that I've talked about on the podcast all the time, one of his big things when we were growing up is like, okay, your eyes when you're playing hockey, it should actually be on your stick, not like your eyes, Yep. right? So like a lot of times we as defensemen at the younger levels, we're looking and our eyes are in the shot lane of the shin pads and our stick is not, but we don't take that shot because it's like over, we we think that there's no shot lane when actually there is, you know? And I think those, those elite defensemen that you're talking about, like they have an ability to see what the puck sees, not like what they're looking at from their eyes. hundred percent. Isn't that kind of, yeah, I, someone, I was at a hockey school when I was like 12 back in Detroit. And I remember someone that said, all right, line up to shoot this puck. It was about teaching forwards the same thing, right? Yeah. How you want to score on a goalie, right? Don't necessarily, the, uh, the shooting lane might not be what your eyes see, but it's what the it's what your stick sees, right? Yeah, so for put sure. your puck out to shoot it, go stand behind your stick and see what the stick sees. And it's like, interesting. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. So next thing I want to talk about is, uh, let's go to the net front guy. Okay, what do you think are some really important attributes of a really successful guy that can play the net front in uh, in a power play? A lack of fear. Oh, yeah, okay. In, in my opinion, because you have to be able to stand there and not wince when a puck's coming from you, yeah, coming at you. And uh, you have to be able to have the patience and have the, hey, I'm, I might take one in the ankle. I might take one in the, I might take one in the stomach, but I, I have to have the confidence my teammates are going to put the puck in an area where I can get a stick on it, or um, I'm going to have the confidence that my positioning here is going to create an opportunity for one of my teammates. Sure. And it's, it's not necessarily like, yeah, every, every net front guy wants to pop off the goal line and catch the puck from the half wall and hit the bumper guy. It's not always going to happen that way. Uh, you talk about chaos goals and how many there are. A lot of them, in my opinion, are driven by the net front guy and his positioning because, one, not just being able to screen the goalie and take away the goalie's eyes, but if you're standing there, usually a defenseman's got to stand there with you. Yeah. So now just by you being there, there's a multiplier effect by taking away the goalie's eyes. Now there's another body there, right, that opens up some more space for some guys on the outside. So for, And it's it's not always pretty, right? It's not – you're not – you're not the guy that's hitting the one-timers on the edge or you're not the guy that might, you know what I mean? You're not, it's not necessarily going to show up on TV, but that, that position to me uh, is incredibly important just for one, you have to be your lack of fear in standing there and being able to a puck hit you once in a while Two, you have to be a dog on retrievals. Yeah. Any puck that's shot or there's a rebound that goes to the corner, you have to be, going in there 100 miles an hour ready to win that battle and keep those keep that possession alive for your team we talked about it earlier how every time you lose possession the puck's ice you kill 20 seconds say you're 20 seconds into a power play rep you execute a play you get the puck out to the flank you get a shot on the net puck goes to the corner the difference between you winning that battle 
might be another 40 seconds in your rep. Yeah. Right. So for me, that position is huge uh, in being able to, to establish and keep those possessions alive on those 50, 50 pucks. For sure. No, I, I totally agree. And I think the other thing too, is just, they have to have an ability to be able to play in tight yep. with their stick. Absolutely. Because um, like whether it's a rebound where you have to show some poise a little bit, whether it's a little stick battle when you're on your retrieval, because usually a defenseman's going just as hard as you are to, to get yep. that puck behind the net or in the corner or wherever. I just think the ability to have just like stick talent in tight spaces um, is, I mean, I think that's huge for everybody, but especially for that position, you're just put in that kind of situation a lot more based on what your role is on the power play. And 60, I, I think it was 65% of the goals that are scored on the power play in the NHL, which is the most skilled league in the world, was scored literally within five feet from the net. Yep. You know, so we can talk about Ovechkin all we want. Um, at the end of the day, like, there's only so many Ovechkins. Yeah, and you it's, know? it's when I have my, my a couple of numbers here to reference. Uh, the shooting percentage for shots on the power play um, a rebound shot versus a slap shot. So say a, a, a typical wrist or slap shot, uh, when I ran these numbers back two years ago, it was about 8% of those are going in the net. Rebound, 25%. Yeah. Tips, 26%. Really? Going in. So one out of four of those opportunities, those are usually your either your bumper guy or your net front um, guy. Net front guy. Yeah. So it might not always be the cool place to play on the power play, that's where the goals are. Yeah, and in the study that Nara and I did a while back, we actually charted traffic. So, like, if there was traffic in front of the net, yeah. like, each goal, was there traffic in front of the net or was there not traffic in front of that? 75% of the goals had traffic in front of the net. Yep. So, in some capacity, the goalie was either screened or, you know, he was being disturbed or whatever it may be where he wasn't able to make a clean save. And so, it just, like, and again, like, we think about power play. We think about these highly skilled line A's, Ovechkin, Stamkos. I don't know why I'm going directly to those guys, but yeah. probably because they're the best. They're good at it. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the end of the day, like only 25% of power play goals that are scored, let's call them our pure skill shot plays without some sort of traffic in front. I thought the number would be even higher. To be yeah, honest. yeah, you right. When you actually think about it, but. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just so hard to score. Goalies are so good. You know, penalty kills are so prepared. Goalies know exactly what the plays are that you're going to be doing. And then you have to find a way to make it more difficult for them. And one of the best ways that you can do that is just getting somebody to stand right in front of the net. you got to have a little bit of courage for that guy in front. Yep. No question. Um, okay, cool. Like that. Bumper guy. The bumper guy is, he's he's almost like... You can use them in a bunch of different ways. I feel like some people use the bumper a little bit more as a guy who kind of relieves pressure. Some people like to put their guy that can really shoot the puck right in there to try and get one-time opportunities. What do you see as like the most important um, attribute or skill of that guy that plays in the middle of the ice? Like, like you said, all of those responsibilities for me are incredibly important for that role. The, and for me, that revolves around hockey sense, right? You're, you're in the middle of the ice. You can kind of see everybody, right? Your head's always on us. Well, you have to be, you have to be aware of where everybody else is on the ice and what's going on. Yeah. For me, that was always a big hockey sense thing. And, um, in my first coaching job in, uh, in the USHL, I coached a kid who ended up playing at Quinnipiac, Sam Annis. Oh my God. Who, uh, four years against him at Quinnipiac. Yeah, Forget was, about it. Yeah. He was heck of a hockey player. And he, uh, he played that for us when I was in Youngstown and he was, for me, he was one of the smartest players that I ever coached. Uh, he made some plays in the middle that were just like, <laughs> that just made you just like, wow. Um, <laughs> made and, you look good as a coach. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah, that's exactly how he drew it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how he drew it up there. But no, I, I think for me, that's a, it's a hockey sense thing. And I think being able to know when you have to support, when you have to release, when you have to do different things. Um, uh, I think that comes around to smarts for me. I think there is an argu argument to be made that your smartest player on the power play should probably be playing. Right? Maybe should yeah. be playing in that position. Yeah. Yeah. You have to recognize pressure. You have to be able to communicate and kind of direct traffic because like you talk shot retrievals, for instance, 
when you got to go as, you know, the half wall guy or you got to go as the net front guy to go get a retrieval, you're not going to have, you're like, you have to win the race first and then you have to think about making a play. And if you have somebody directing, it's almost like the support guy on a retrieval for a defenseman. Like the second guy that's calling for the puck is more important than the guy going to get the puck. So if you have a bumper guy who can understand that and can direct traffic for the people going to get the puck who are under pressure, it just makes it so much easier for everybody. 100% agree. And I think uh, when you look at it too, I was talking I was talking to NAR about it two years ago when I first got to Detroit, uh, about the placement of that guy yeah. right, and where that position actually scores from. Um, a lot, in my opinion, I, th- I see a lot of players at the youth level in particular in that spot drifting too high because sure. that's where the open ice is, right? So that might be where you think is open, but when you actually look at where those goals are scored, I like to use the, the kind of the, if you made a rectangle out of the two inner hash marks right in front of the net, um, for me, that's kind of where I like to keep our, my bumper guy. And that's traditionally, it feels low. For a lot of guys playing in that spot, but um, I think when you have possession, I think being able to, like we talked about, right? Where where do goals come from on the power play? Are coming from rebounds and they're coming from deflections. Um, that position gets his stick on a lot of pucks. Yeah. Um, and for me, I felt better when those plays were coming closer to the net rather than further. Yeah, that makes Drifting sense. Drifting yourself out to the top of the circle sometimes is good for to relieve pressure. Like I get it, um, but if you shoot a puck from out there, are you going to score? And that's a that's a tough that's yeah a tough shot. Well, you look at the shots that like Braden Point takes or TJ Oshie, Patrice Bergeron. Like, yeah, very rarely are they like. Well, they're never outside the top of the circles. Yeah, you know, maybe they're hash mark, maybe to the top of the circles, yep. but usually they're right around that hash mark area. Yep, it just creates so much confusion. And the other thing that we noticed when we did that power play study too is if you can think about it, it's hard. Like, if we had a whiteboard, it'd be a little bit easier than doing a podcast. But so we. We, uh, we call them like kind of like inverted. So like if the half wall guy and the bumper guy and let's call him the one-time guy, the Ovechkin guy are in a straight line, you're just decreasing your options because yep. now there's no scene play. You know, so when we started looking at the goals, a lot of what we saw was that inverted where the bumper guy was a little bit lower and the other two were a little bit higher and now you've kind of opened up a seam because how everybody penalty kills, you just kind of stick one guy on the bumper ish and then that just opens so many things up. And so, yeah, the placement, I agree. Like it's, it's important. Yep. Uh, and like for me, I always just like having guys closer to the net rather than further from for the sure. Net, right? Yeah. Cause if you want to have numbers there, like we talked about the net front guy, if you you have as a as a penalty kill coach. If you see a guy standing at the front of the net, or you're a defenseman on the penalty kill, there's a guy standing at the front of the net. Like I, I somebody has to be there. Yeah. Right. So by having that other guy lower, you might be able to create a two on one down there for those second chance opportunities. Yeah, I like it. Uh, okay, so now uh, let's go to the half wall guy. So the person like the Backstrom, I guess it's kind of Kuznetsov or Backstrom for Washington. You talk about the Kucherovs, you talk about the Patrick Canes, guys who kind of handle the puck yep. maybe a little bit more. What do you think are some prerequisites and attributes for for these guys? It sounds simple. Uh, I I think a general skill level. You talk <laughs> about those guys you just mentioned, right? Yeah, you're usually going to put your most skilled guys. Um, cause that, those are the guys that are going to handle the puck the most. Yeah. Those are the guys that are going to need to make plays with time and space taken away. Yeah. So I think a general skill level, being able to make a play, uh, in a small area is, is, is huge for that, for that position. Um, and I think too, depending on kind of your mentality as a power play, the ability to shoot the puck. Um, I always like to have dual threats, baby. Yeah. There's I always nothing like, like, it. like to have that guy <laughs> being able to, because especially early on in the reps, like when you want to generate shot volume, like you mentioned earlier, like you want pucks going at the net, like that guy's got, those guys got to be able to shoot. Um, and I personally, I like to have one of the flanks on his offside and one on his strong side. Um, that's just kind of just to change it up a little bit and change some of the different looks on each side. That was so for maybe like some of like the people that don't know what you mean, what do you mean by one on their strong side? Yep. And one on so their I, I like to say I have uh, a guy on the, 
on one guy is going to catch the puck on his forehand and he's going to be on his strong from the side point. from the point attacking yeah. the net. The other guy is going to be on his offside, so he's going to be able to one-time the puck if the puck comes around to him. So he's not going to be uh, coming up high, looping up towards the blue line and coming down. Yeah. He's more so going to be finding time, finding space, trying to open up those passing lanes, being able to be a trigger man more as a is a like you talk about Ovechkin or somebody like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I feel like the um, that guy that the half wall guy too. They have to have a like a deception part of their game. And the other thing too, I think this is important for like each player, but especially well, no every player. I think just shoulder checks and scanning all the time, all the time. Like you talk about the point guy. Shoulder checking and scanning. Okay, where's that middle penalty killer at? Where's that middle penalty killer at? How can I change my shot lane so now when I get a puck, I can have a lane to the net before I even have the puck? You know, the the Ovechkins of the world. You know, you're looking looking at the goalie, looking at the defender that might be coming out to get in my shot lane. All right, all right, all right. Okay, boom, shot lane. There we go, you know? Um, but specifically for the half-wall guy, because the half-wall guy for me makes or breaks a power play based upon how fast that he wants to play especially at the youth levels. Um, but like if that person just wants to hold on to the puck at the half wall at the top of the circles and stick handle and look and stick handle and look and stick handle and look. And we talked about it earlier. That's just easy to play against. So he's got to be always scanning, looking where the defenders are looking where the, you know, the openings are between sticks and skates and between two different defenders and things like that. And being able to make those short plays like you were talking about in just kind of like rapid fashion when yep. they get the puck. I think those are the best, um, I think those those players are, are the best at it. And the dual threat, like a Kucherov, right? Like yep, somebody that can do both. Yeah. And I, I think as a coach, I, I think that's the one advantage to have your player on his strong side and that momentum coming down, right? Because it's easier as a player to catch that puck on your forehand side because your your eyes are up. Yeah. Right? Whereas if you're skating backwards or standing still, you gotta look at the pass coming from you from the top it's harder to see what's going on. It's harder to kind of be able to scan right. the ice because there's a pass coming to you. It's not like you can just look away for a second, right, and then go back to the puck and track it. It's not the way it works. So yeah. um, I, I think for me that's one of the advantages to putting that guy in a strong side. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, okay, last guy, the the offside guy, let's call him, the Ovechkins of the world. What, what are some skills that that person needs to have Yeah, aside from – banging a puck yeah I, I think for me <laughs> there's a there's a creativity and just a uh, an awareness perspective to that on I gotta know when each guy has the puck how I can position my feet and how I have to move a little bit to open up different passing lanes whether it's the, the guy on the other half wall whether it's the D whether it's the bumper whether it's the the, the goal line guy if the puck goes from the half wall yep. to the goal line I have to know those different reads. I have to find those little areas, those little passing lanes. So for me, obviously, usually natural goal scorers can can do things like that, but that also takes work, right? It's how you go back to the the original mentality that we have. Like you can't just float around over there. You have to be, <laughs> you have to be, unless you have a guy like Baxter or somebody dishing. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Ovechkin who doesn't yeah. take a step yeah. one way or the other. Usually, <laughs> usually you have to work to open up those passing lanes a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it requires a little bit of urgency. It doesn't take – you don't have to sprint back and forth from the goal line to the blue line. Yeah. That's not what I mean, but just being able to to be active and just trying to find those passing lanes I think is important. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And I think just they got to be really smart in terms of like angles almost, and they got to be really smart and just being able to find those passing lanes, whether it's you know across a seam, whether it's from the guy from the goal line out – positioning themselves in a way where you're getting the puck from the point where you're shooting the puck in a position where you can score because so many people in that position, especially at the youth levels and even the college levels, like their asses against the boards. It's like, you're not going to score when your ass is against the boards. No. Be, be dot lane. And that's like the farthest you should be maybe a little bit, but like just angles, almost like geometry. I think that guy needs to be good at too. Absolutely. Um, okay. Last question I have for you. Um, do you see, and, and we talked about it, like when I did my power play study, everybody did the same thing. Like every power play was the same for the most part. Some people did some different things. Um, do you see any new trends 
in watching the game, anything that people are doing new, anything you think that people are working on that you kind of haven't seen before, but might be a little bit interesting. Um, what would you say to that? That's a good question. I, I think I always like to see people trying different things and doing different things. Sure. Um, and I, I like to see power plays that have success that, that, that aren't like everybody else, <laughs> right? And I think for me, the one that comes to mind is is Northeastern. Northeastern runs a 2-3 to an absolute T. Like they are, they are very good at it. When I, when we were, we always used to pre-scout them and watch them in the bean pot. Um, their, their two, three was almost unstoppable and the way that they ran it, it was hard to defend. So why, why is that? Like what, so the, two, three for people that don't under, like that don't know what that is yep. explain it. The quickly. two, three is basically you keep two guys on the blue line, right? So you keep kind of two guys on the blue line. You have two guys off the flank on either half wall, and then you have a guy at the net front. Yep. Um, so as you have two guys high and then three guys kind of down low, uh, what it, what is most effective at is being able to relieve pressure. If you run at a 2-3 because you can just zip the puck around the outside and it's just great at opening up seams. Uh, so it, it, for, for me, like sometimes we would always start our 1-3-1 as a 2-3 and then roll into the 1-3-1 out of that just to release that pressure sure. initially. Um, so for me, I always love to see that. And as a, as a coach, as a running the penalty kill against that, you're like, all right, like we have to, we have to practice against this because yeah. it's different than most than most do, right? So um, that one for me, um, and I know Jerry Keefe uh, did that very well. He's now the head coach in Northeastern, and um, he was uh, instrumental in that, and they were very good at it. The one thing that I think I'm starting to see more of um, are guys trying to make plays off the rush. I, I think that's a, a trend where, again, it's it's getting harder to score, Yeah, right? Goalies are getting bigger they're better it's just hard to find when a team is stopped up it's it's hard right so being able to score off the rush where there might be a little more chaos you have the numbers you have the momentum kind of a built-in odd man rush right if you can I, I see teams in my opinion being a little more um willing to try to make plays off the rush um but uh but yeah I think that's that's about it. I, I love to see innovation I, I love I know, to see right? guys try do different things I think um, I know as a coach, there's always, it's, it's, you, it's easier said than done. It's, that's the one thing that sucks about pro hockey is like, there's such a shelf life on coaches that they almost feel like they can't try stuff new because it will probably look bad, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then if it looks bad, then that might affect your ability to get a job down the road when you get fired because every coach in the NHL gets fired. And it's happening quicker and quicker nowadays. Yeah. Um, but one thing I, I haven't done a lot of this. I've seen a little bit of it. I think it's something that people kind of want to try, but don't really necessarily want to because it's different is using the back of the net. Yeah. I think you're seeing that a little bit more, uh, maybe even with the, the net front guy being the opposite hand. So it would be like a Backstrom being on the other side on Ovechkin's side. I'm using Washington because I feel like everybody knows their power play. So, like, Ovechkin would pass the puck down to Backstrom in the corner on that side, and then he would kind of walk it. And if as a player, it makes sense because now it's almost like you were talking about when you get up on the strong side on the power play um, where you're attacking downhill with that player. It's almost similar where you're getting it, and now you can see. You see all the options. You're on your forehand. You can skate with it and make a play with it. Um, I would like to see more, and maybe as a coach, I can probably tinkle, tinkle. <laughs> I can always tinkle. Uh, what's the word? Tinker. I can yep. tinker with that a little bit. Um, but I feel like I would love to see more people try to use the back of the net because I've talked to goalies too. Like the hardest save for a goalie to make is one that comes from behind the goal line out into the slot because they have to understand what's going on behind them and they have to understand what's going on in front of them. It's the toughest one for them to make. So why wouldn't we just, like just solely based on that do that more? For sure. I think you see that a lot in five on threes. Five on threes, you see it a lot. I, I think 100%. You see, I think you see a lot of teams using the back of the net. Yeah. They're trying to use the back of the net because it's hard to defend. Yeah. Just like you said, right? The goalie's got to be constantly looking over his and shoulder. And so do the D, too. The D got to be kind of constantly scanning guys coming kind of coming in behind them. So it's hard to defend for sure. How about, so let's, so, okay, since we brought it up, five on threes. What, what do you talk about? What's important to you coaching a five on three power play? Um, do you do much different? Do you want them to do the same thing as what they were doing five on four? Do you have a different setup? Like what's, 
your mindset? I think it's good to have a different setup because I, I think it's going to, um, you're going to have a little more time and a little more space. Uh, usually you kind of see teams either try something behind the net, usually more in like a box type formation sure. to get, uh, to, to get the, the three penalty killers, uh, moved around. But I think the biggest thing that I see in five and threes is people just trying to carry the puck too much. I see one kid thinks he's going to try and get it on the half wall on the left side is a lefty and he just rolls around the top and he stick handles and he stick handles and yeah. he stick handles and he passes and then somebody else stick handles and stick handles. For me, it was always quick puck movement. Um, let's try and open up those shooting lanes as quick as we can. Um, our advantage here is obviously we have, we have a two man advantage. If we move the puck quick and utilize all five of those guys and they're spread out in a way that, um, is three guys are going to have a hard time defending it. Yeah. Right. But if you slow down and you skate and you're letting one guy just kind of stay in front of you and just kind of holding the puck, you're easier to defend. So I think even more so than on the five on four, five on three needs quick puck movement. Yeah. It's so funny at the U levels the amount of like five on threes that i see whether it's my team or whether it's the team we're playing against usually the team you're playing against <laughs> no, but not necessarily um but like the amount of like wrist shots from the top of the circles that have no value i feel like that's all that i see and it's, maybe it's just because they feel a little bit more like okay i got some time and space here i'm gonna try and score from the top of the circles on a wrist shot but it's like when do you ever score from the top of the circles on a wrist shot Players always like to try and make them feel com comfortable on the ice, right? Yeah. And there's comfort in the other. There's more space. Usually, though, that comfort is there for a reason. Yeah. That open ice is there for a reason. is because it's not useful. For sure. For sure. All right, man. Well, this is good. We went like an hour here. Did we really? Yeah. That was. You get me talking on the podcast. I, <laughs> I know. I, could, I, could go for I know. One Last one, I think, was just a half an hour, but this one got going. Finally, so. we lost the dead weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eat it, Wardo. Um, well, hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. Hopefully we gave you some stuff that you can use with your teams, um, whatever level that you're you're playing at or coaching at. So, uh, Ras, thanks again. Get this going in uh, another week or so. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Sure.